0: following message is from christian life austin for more information about christian life please visit clcaustin.com thank you for listening all right now so i was sitting over there while that while brad was talking about it then that and i and i just came up with this little ditty if you really want your kids to be what they really need to be enroll your kids into tnt that's all I got to say about that. They used to tell me I was a songwriter, but I'm not. And I'm not a poet. But I just, I love TNT because it's it's absolutely revolutionized my grandkids. And, uh, they have manners and they, they know how to treat one another. And they, except when one of them gets a toy that the other one wants. So there's some, some, some exceptions and, uh, they, they, they're they learning stuff. In fact, when our when our little girl, Caroline, goes into kindergarten this next year, she's going to be reading at second grade level. Uh, TNT is a wonderful place to put your children. If you want to put your kids someplace that's really nice, put them in TNT. Would you stand to your feet? You're awesome people, and I love you very much. To all of our people listening in tonight via the Internet, we thank you. We have started streaming on Wednesday night because... There's a lot of people around our country that enjoy Christian Life Church and they don't get to be at Christian Life Church. So this is not for you to sit home (laughs) because as as one couple told me last week that listened to it and they're here in church tonight, they said, Pastor, it's good online, but it's sure a lot better in person. And there's nothing like the camaraderie, the camaraderie of the church. And it's just an awesome thing. This camaraderie is an awesome thing. So we welcome you online, and thank you for joining in tonight. This will not be, this will not be uh, uh, after the night, after the session is over. It's over. It will not be, uh, what's it called? What's the word? Archived. It will not be archived, so you can't watch it tomorrow. So get all you can get tonight, and we'll leave it on as long as we can. Thank you for joining us. Let's give them one more hand while we get ready to teach. We have Brother Philip and Sister Annie here, uh, Daigle, and their three sons, and we're very delighted to have them with us. It's just an honor, and we'll be hearing from them pro- possibly next week. We'll probably have an interview with them and just talk with them about their dreams and their hopes and their futures. And we're excited to have them here and their three little boys. I went into the I went into the children's ministry room in the office, which is the second office on the left, and. You know, it was always full with my little rugrats, my little grandkids, but now we got three more, five years and under, and I promise you there was three crawling on the couch, climbing the couch. There was one jumping off of a chair, and I think one was trying to do a gainer off the chair on this side. He's trying to flip backwards, but it was just so joyful to see those kids. Isn't it wonderful to have kids around the church and have people that are having children? I, I love kids. I really do. I love kids. And you bring your children to church here, I promise you they will be taken care of by our Sunday school department. Your special needs kids will be taken care of by our special needs facilitators. We love your children. So tonight I'm gonna talk a little bit to you and uh, I hope I can preach a little bit tonight but I probably will just teach a little. But I wanna speak tonight on the subject constructing the right attitude. But before I do, I went to Home Depot yesterday and they got this new thing for sale, this new, this new thing. It's a, it's a lawnmower with an outboard motor. And uh, so you can mow your yard and fish at the same time. Whoever thinks of those things, thank you because I love to laugh at that kind of stuff. You can mow your yard and fish at the same time. All right, get it out of here. huh? Let Home Depot have it back. I want to read tonight from Philippians chapter two, verse five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then Romans 15 and five in the new international version, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So tonight, constructing the right attitude. We're going to have a construction building process here tonight. Turn to somebody say, I want to help the pastor and you may be seated. I promise you I will not be long. God bless, you may be seated. There's an old story about a man who went to a doctor for a physical examination. And when the examination was concluded, The doctor said, sit down, I have good news for you. You are in perfect health. In fact, you have the health of a man half your age. And the man thanked the doctor, got up and headed to the door, and when he got near the door, he collapsed and died on the spot. It's a joke, folks. (laughs) And the doctor said to the nurse, let's turn him around so it looks like he's coming in and not leaving (laughs) One man said it best a long time ago. It's hard to soar with eagles when you have to live with turkeys. (laughs) That's a fact. Zig Ziglar said, attitude determines your altitude. Yogi Berra said, 99% of the game is 50% mental. Don't get that, (laughs) Yogi. Victor Frankl, a survivor of the Nazi concentration camp, said, the last of human freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. And he went on to say, you can't can't help what happens to you, but you can help how you react to what happens to you. And he used this as a final quote. He said, to choose one's way is paramount. We need to choose the right way. Our surroundings control many times our soarings in life. Turkey thinking plus turkey talk equals turkey walk. You're just a turkey. And whether you like it or not, we quickly blend into the color of our surroundings as was so in the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, the seven churches of Asia. The spirit of the city, the spirit of the community came into those churches and spoiled what God wanted to do for them. And so five out of seven got this note from the Lord, repent or else I will come and remove the golden candlestick. I will take matters in my own hand if you don't repent, because they had the the feeling of the city. I never want that to happen in Austin, Texas. It's true today. There's two ways that attitudes are constructed. Number one is genetics. Everybody say genetics. Yes. There's a similarity in thinking, mannerisms and priorities and talk and opinions are very common within individual cultures. In other words, one family will have this culture, another family will have this culture, and you'll realize that some Normal things in your life are not normal in other people's lives and some things that they call normal in their lives are not normal in our lives. And we all know married people who grow and look more alike as the years pass. (laughs) But some say that people start to look like their pets too after a while. (laughs) I read about a man that was at an airport many years ago to pick up his brother and he hadn't seen him in many, many years. And he saw a man walking in the terminal and he called out his brother's name. And the man turned and recognized his name and came to his brother's voice. And the man said, I knew him because he walked like our dad. I hadn't seen him in a long time, but he had the walk of our dad. Genetics is a powerful thing. And I trust, I trust that the genetics in your home and the genetics in your life has created such an atmosphere for your children and for other people in your life that people love to be around you. The Bible said the spirit of a man is a candle of the Lord. And when a man has a beautiful spirit, he lights up the whole room. And I love people that when they walk in, it doesn't feel like the lights go out. It feels like the lights are coming on. The second thing besides genetics is a thing called environment. It's environment. See, attitude is a choice. You choose to have a super attitude or you choose to have a lousy attitude. Easy to get down around people that are down. David had an anointing on his life in 1 Samuel chapter 16, but 1 Samuel chapter 22, the anointed king of Israel, David, was in a cave called Adullam with 400 men who were distressed and who were in debt and who were discontented. And he became like his surroundings. His anointing did not quell their hearts and spirits, but their spirits quelled his anointing. And in 1 Samuel chapter 27, he said this, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. So God anointed a failure in 16? No, but David let his surroundings affect him more than a sovereign God had placed on his life. Somebody needs to hear me right now. The thing that is in you is greater than the things that are around you. And the forces that hold those things out are greater than the power that's trying to crush you from the outside. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Job was a sick man. He was in poverty now because everything he had was taken. All his kids were gone. He was stricken. But he refused to listen to the advice of the one closest to him, his wife, who said, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? And he said, you speak as a foolish woman. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not evil? Which comes first, folks, the condition or the choice? So you have conditions or you have choices. Early life and later life. In early life, things many times are involuntary. But as you mature, things ought to be voluntary. In early life, others choose for you your destiny. But as you get older, you need to choose your own destiny. Early in life, we react. But later in life, we need to initiate. My question to you is this. When are you going to cross that line that says, I'm tired of being pushed by the environment and by the negativism of the world. I'm going to stand strong against it. You know, it's easy to walk with your back to the wind, but it's very difficult to walk with your face to the wind. But we need some uphill climbers that'll face the wind of circumstance in life and say, I'm gonna get to top of yonder hill. I'm gonna make it to the hill and I'm gonna conquer for the name of the Lord. As age increases, so must strength of attitude increase also. I want to give you a powerful story. In one of his books, John Killinger describes a busy airport late one afternoon and people were scurrying to meet schedules and make flight connections and tempers were on edge. And suddenly, in the midst of the hustle and the bustle, a loud voice erupts exclaiming, good work, God! (laughs) And everyone that was near enough to hear the shout turns And sees an elderly little woman in a wheelchair. Her gaze is directed out a large glass window at a majestic sunset lighting up the sky. And smiles break out on many faces of the people. And some of the airline passengers begin to walk with a renewed bounce in their step. The atmosphere of the entire airport is is transformed by a woman's observation. Good work, God. You know every now and then, When the rain stops at 12.30 today and not seven tonight, we ought to look out our office windows and we ought to look out our kitchen windows and we ought to look out our our places of worship wherever we are. And we ought to say, good work, God. You gave us clear skies to be in the house of God tonight. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what your environment is. You can find a reason to have a great attitude and a great atmosphere in your own life. Clap your hands real big and rejoice in that. It's commonplace how easily a child of three or four can pick up a foreign language when they're exposed to it. Even without any formal teaching, you don't have to teach them how to conjugate a sentence. They just can pick up another language yet we are unwilling to admit that a child of the same age picks up our unconscious attitudes and prejudices without being taught and often retains those longer than any of his formal education. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Dad, mom, brother, sister, it's time to replace a negative attitude with a positive attitude. What does this have to do with Jesus? It has a whole lot to do with him. Because we're representing Him. And when you walk into any business, you ought to be the best customer they have all day long. When you walk in any school system, you ought to be the greatest mom, the greatest dad to ever come pick up their kids. When you walk into anything in your life, people ought to say, Wow, whatever they're drinking, I want to start drinking. Because they have something that I need in my life. You know what it is? It's Christ in us. Come on now. It's Christ in us that's greater than the environment around us. Kids from complimentary backgrounds have a greater chance than those from a condemning background. My dad, I love him. I honor him today. And even though it's Mother's Day on Sunday, I honor my mom and I will talk about her. But my dad never called me something that I had to fight off to not become my dad never called me a loser. My dad never called me a punk. He never called me a bad word that started with a B that's in the Bible. He never called me that in my life, but he always called me things that would encourage me, that would strengthen me. Well, your dad must have been a great pastor. No, my dad wasn't a pastor. My dad was a sharecropper that got an oil field job and he didn't even get his education. He didn't even get his diploma until 1971 because his junior year in high school, he went away to fight a war so I could have freedom to preach this gospel. And I'll never forget the night he got his diploma in Marlowe, Oklahoma. If you know where that is, you don't have to repent. You can go to heaven right now. <laughs> but he called me and he said, son, I got my high school diploma. He said, I'm smarter now than I've ever been. He was 71 years old. See, attitudes are caught. They're caught. I caught my dad's spirit. I caught my dad's work ethic. I caught my dad's tremendous heart. No, I'll never be the man my dad is, but I caught what he gave me because the environment that he produced was one that I wanted to excel in. The book says Solomon did all that was in David's heart plus what he was taught. So he caught some things and was taught some things. Don't demand perfection, folks, from others and not in yourselves. Don't make somebody else walk a perfect line when you yourself don't have that perfection in your own life. Give somebody the grace that you give yourself. Come on, let me preach to you right now. Give somebody else the grace that you give yourself because you want everybody else to give you. An, that's all right when you, when you fall down. Say that's all right when somebody else does. This church needs to have an environment that when people fall down here, they're just gonna get up and dust their pants off and just keep walking because God doesn't need people to help push down. He needs people to help lift up. Come on, help me preach right now. Help me preach right now. I'm talking to you. We need an environment of lifters in this house. And producers, not consumers. Joe Theismann won two Super Bowl rings today. I don't like to talk about this guy. He played for the Redskins and he beat my Cowboys several times. And then he would boast about it. He would boast about it. But one was a winner, a winning ring in Super Bowl 17. The other was a loser ring in Super Bowl 18. The difference? the attitude about the game and who it revolved around. 17 was all about the game and the Redskins winning the ball game and they did. 18 was all about me, he said. It was all about me. He said, I found fault in everything leading up to the Super Bowl. Said they didn't treat us like champions from the year past. We had to prove ourselves again. Yes, sir, that's why there's another Super Bowl. But he said, I got caught up in me and I found fault in everything and we lost the game because I was more concerned about me than I was about the game. I want to give you five foundational truths here tonight about the construction of an attitude. Now, before I do, I want to tell you a quick Bible story, just a quick story, real quick. There was a man in the Bible named Ahijah Ezer that was a captain of the tribe of of Dan when they they came came out of Egypt. And Dan was the warring tribe. And Dan, all the tribes of Israel walked under a particular banner. And uh, Judah walked under a lion and Dan walked under an, an adder, a serpent. And 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 Dan was last in line and Judah was first in line. So they felt kind of, you know, well, there's the warring tribe and they were second largest tribe in all of Israel behind Judah. And so so Ezer shows up and he wants to change the atmosphere. He wants to change the environment. So He changes the flag that they walk under from a serpent to an eagle. So when they look up, they're not looking at something that crawls on the ground and strikes and bites and brings poison to their body. But when they look up, they see an eagle that soars (laughs) and an eagle that has pinpoint vision from miles away and an eagle that flies in flocks of one. And they're solitary and they're strong and they're mighty. And he wanted those people to look up and see something that would lift them and not something that would crush them. But you know, Dan never caught a hold of that. Now, listen to me. You got to get this. Dan went to the Valley of Laish and fell in love with the, with the Laish people, intermarried those people, and they lost their identity in the tribes of Israel. And you look in Revelation chapter seven and Manasseh takes the place of Dan. Dan is not one of the 12 tribes in the book of Revelation. They lost their identity because they could not receive the lift that a man brought. I'm not calling myself a high-easer tonight. I'm really not. But I'm going to bring you some things right now. I'm going to try to lift your sights. I'm going to try to lift your hopes. I'm going to try to lift your vision. I'm going to try to lift your attitude because we're going into the summer. And by George, we're going to fight summer with everything we have. We're going to turn the fire hoses on of hell and put out every fire hell tries to destroy us with. We're going to stand strong in the name of the Lord. We're going to walk through June, July, and August. We're going to be a strong church in the summer. We are, we are. Come on now, we are. Everybody say, I'm an eagle. eagle. Say it, "I'm I'm an eagle. I can soar in the name of the Lord. So I'm going to give you five things here, five things. Five foundational truths about the construction of an attitude. Number one, a child's formative years are the most important for instilling the right attitudes. Now, I know that there's some people here that their children's already grown, but it's all right. You have grandkids. My kids are grown, but I have grandkids and we're doing it the second time around. Proverbs 22 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. That does not mean necessarily that he'll come back to it completely, but he'll never depart from it. He won't. Attitudes become a part of us sooner than later. Even though they may be wrong, even if our attitudes make us uncomfortable, they are difficult to change. I'm a self-taught golfer. That's scary. That's scary. No formal instruction. And by the way, i just have to tell you, I taught myself all wrong. <laughs> Even though at times I played fairly well. Not well enough to brag, but fairly well. And I finally quit the game in 1989 when I couldn't hit a straight ball anymore. And I felt like that I was dying because it was an outlet that I truly enjoyed. So I came to Austin in 1990 and I realized I needed an outlet and there were some beautiful golf courses here. And I didn't want them to be out there without me beating them up. So I picked it back up in 1993 and I went to a pro, a, a pro teacher named Jack. I won't tell you the last name because I'm going to protect him. And I, and I saw him hitting the ball and he was hitting it beautifully. And so I asked for lessons. And he said, let me see you swing. So after he saw me swing, he said, I want to tell you what's wrong with your swing. You got this and this and this and this and this. And he named about 10 things wrong with my swing. But other than that, he said, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> this is true. I'm not making this up. I'm not stretching this at all. And he tried to break my old habits. He said, I'll charge you $20 for 30 minutes. You're a pastor and I'll charge you 20 bucks. I said, man, I don't need a deal. He said, yeah, yeah, you need to be able to play because you've got a lot of anxiety in your life and I can fix you, he said, in 30 minutes, I promise. He worked with me for one hour. Then sweating, probably angry, he shook my hand, patted me on the shoulder and walked away. And he said, preacher, you don't owe me one penny because I cannot fix that swing. I discovered something that day. You ready for this? It's more difficult to learn something wrong and try to unlearn it and then relearn it than learn it right the first time. Oh, I am. (laughs) A couple of years later out at Onion Creek, I met a gentleman named Ben Crenshaw. Ben, if you're listening tonight, still love you, brother. He's not, but if he is. 1995, I met Ben Crenshaw at the club, and and we got to talking, and he found out I was a pastor, and he said, let's have lunch. And so we had lunch, and I'm not name-dropping, but Ben's one of the kindest men I've ever met in my life. Now, when I shook his hand, I realized I was bigger than Ben Crenshaw. He's not big. And I realized I was probably stronger than Ben Crenshaw then and probably had more leg power because I had some leg power (laughs) and more wrist Probably not the hand-eye coordination that he had, but I had superior stuff to him in that time. And I smiled as much. But he learned the game from a man named Harvey Pinnock that wrote the little green book and the little red book. And he learned right. And I taught myself. And I learned wrong. And by the way, he had won the Masters in 1995 And I got to sit down and eat lunch with the master's champion of 1995. The deal is this. You need to teach your children how to have a proper attitude. They will listen if you'll teach right. Number two, an attitude growth never stops. Say it never stops. I'm still growing my attitude right now. In fact, I want to quote one of my favorite pastors. I want to quote him. He's not in my notes, but I want to quote him. He lived in Odessa. He died. And he said this. He said, Brother Rex, he said, I want to be better every day that I live. And I've, I've, I've told this to the church many times. He said, I want, I want to be better every day that I live. Because every day I live, I'm closer to the coming of the Lord in my life. Amen. And I can't get worse. I got to get better every day. Amen. Are you with me? He said, so if the Lord comes today, I'm going to be the best I can be on that day. And tomorrow, I got to be better than this day because I'm closer to the Lord the next day. I love that. See, our attitudes are formed by our experiences and how we choose to react to them. As long as we live, we are forming and changing or reinforcing our attitudes. I want you to notice something. Saul of Tarsus, his progression. The first time we see him, he is consenting to the death of Stephen in Acts chapter 8 verse 1. The second time we see him, he's persecuting the saints in Acts 8 verse 3. And the third time we see him, by the time we see him on the road to Damascus, Acts 9, he's breathing out slaughterings and he's got letters in his pocket he's going to kill the saints. Here's a principle. What you consent to today, you participate in tomorrow, then it quickly consumes you. So whatever you participate in today, hallelujah, consent to today, you participate in tomorrow and it will quickly consume you. Why don't you consent today to walk out of here with the greatest attitude you ever had in your life? Come on, let's just let today be the best day of our life. Come on, clap your hands real big. There's no such thing, folks, as an unalterable attitude. We can all change. Like that little girl in Sunday school class. When the teacher asked, who made you? She said, well, God made part of me. Teacher said, what do you mean God made part of you? She said, well, God made me real little. Then I just grew the rest myself. (laughs) Life's changes. Sometimes change attitudes, marriage problems, people changing mates, loss of a child suffer with illness, loss of a job, lose homes in a flood, get you a lawnmower with an outboard motor on it. (laughs) Many think they lose their future. However, through it all, you must keep building your attitude. Pavarotti, the great singer's father, told him one day, he said, son, you can't sit in two chairs. You must sit in just one or you'll fall in between them and wind up with nothing. He said, life is a choice. Decide to sit in the right chair. And when he did, he became famous for the thing he was supposed to be famous for. Third, the third thing I want to teach you about this thing called attitude is the more our attitudes grow on the same foundation, the more solid it becomes. Say, the more, the more it, grows it grows on the same foundation, the more solid it becomes. That's why we must grow our attitude on the right foundation. Reinforcement of our foundational attitudes, whether positive or negative, makes attitude stronger. I love Philippians 4 and 8. I want you to help me quote it. We're going to put it on the screen right now. Paul said this, whatever things are true, come on, read it with me, honest, just, pure, Lovely, good report, virtue, plays worthy. Think on these things. You know how many things are listed there? Eight. You know what eight is? New beginnings. Why don't you get up every morning and start quoting this and say, I want to quote eight things this morning, and they're going to be a brand new start for me to have the attitude of my life today. Today. Reinforce your mind with positive things. Colonel George Hall was a a pilot that was shot down during Vietnam Was an avid golfer. I guess he got taught by somebody besides himself. (laughs) He played golf in all the bases that he was a part of in in, in home here before he went to Vietnam, and he beat a lot of people playing golf. And uh, when he was captured, he was put in the in in the prison for ten years. And in his mind, he had he had to do something so he wouldn't go crazy. So every day in his mind, he would pick out a golf course that he played back in America, and he could remember every hole intricately. He could remember every hole, every sand trap. He had a great mind, and he would tee off on the first hole, and he would walk to his shot, hit his second ball, walk to the green, make a putt or miss a putt, and he would play 18 holes a day in four hours and about 30 minutes. And he said it gave him four hours and 30 minutes of calmness and serenity because he was doing something that brought him back to a good environment. Now, how's that spiritual, Pastor? Because it's spiritual because you need to take your mind off the things that have held you captive and get your mind on things that will let you know a release in your life because God wants the best for you. He don't want you held captive in your daily life by things that want to put you behind spiritual bars. Say amen to that. And when he got out, when he got out of the Vietnam prison after 10 years, he weighed 140 pounds. He's down from 190. He weighed 140 pounds. And he got back to America. And when he got back, he took one week to kind of get his strength back. They kept him in the hospital. And he got his strength back and they said, Colonel, what do you want to do? Your first day out of the hospital, he said, let's go play golf. And he went and played golf, and he got him some clubs, and he shot four over par. Because he never forgot I'm not a prisoner. I'm still who I am. I'm still who I am. And it doesn't matter what happens to you in your life during the day, you're not a prisoner. You're who you are. And when you get in the house of God, you need to excel in praise and worship and thanking God for his gracious glory in your life. Let me hurry. Let me hurry. The fourth thing is this. Many builders, specialists, help construct our attitude at a certain time and place. Many people. Turn to somebody and say, you've helped me in life. Come on, turn to them. Say, you've helped me. Come on, tell them. You're my friend. You've helped me. Come on, husband, tell your wife. Patty, you've helped me in life, sweetheart. You know, my kids have helped me in life. I raised them up, then they started raising me. You didn't hear that because y'all was complimenting one another. But <laughs> I Had a math teacher back in Level named Mr. Kempson. He was an old bachelor. And he, was, uh, he didn't bathe as much as he needed to. <laughs> but everybody loved him. He was hard. He was very difficult in his class. He taught math. He taught all kinds of math. And one day he came by my desk and he tapped his finger on my desk. I'll never forget it. He said, you can do math, Rex, you can do life. Now, what that meant to me as a junior in high school meant like, I could conquer the world because Mr. Kempson said I could. <laughs> now, what it means now is it didn't matter if I could do math or not. But he made me believe that I could, I could be a great person if I could do math. He put that in me. And I want to tell somebody in this house tonight yeah. that if you continue to praise the Lord in your life, if you do praise, if you do church, if you do life, if you do family, you can make it in this thing called life. Come on now. It's, it, it really matters. It really matters what somebody speaks into your world. And I'm trying to tell you, there's an eagle soaring up there and you can be one of them. You can make it in this thing called life. One of my greatest stories, and I, I know I'm telling a lot of stories tonight, but I'll be through in just a moment. You love my stories. There was a Stanford math professor years ago that on a Friday he put two problems on the board and, and he told the men and the girls that were there, the, 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 the men and the ladies that were there, he said, hey, these are unsolvable problems, two of them. And he said, I want you to take them home, work on them. He said, I don't expect you to solve them. He said, take them home, work on them. And he said, come back Monday, we'll discuss it. And there was a man named George Danzig that walked into his class late. He was late. He was always late. And he didn't hear the instruction from the professor that these were unsolvable problems. And so he just thought it was bonus points. So he copied down those problems, went home, went to his apartment. And on Saturday night he had one of them solved because nobody told him he couldn't. And he comes back on Monday, and he turns his, his, his problems in. He said, Prof, I'm so sorry. He said, I'm gonna make a 50. I'm so sorry. He said, Why are you gonna make a 50? He said, Because I just solved one of the problems. And the professor said, Oh my God, you solved a problem? Son, you want a job as the head math instructor at Stanford University? <laughs> he later became that. Check the records. Here's what I wanna tell you, folks. If you don't think you can't, you can. If somebody tells you that you can do something, why don't you go ahead and believe it? You've heard it all your life. You can't do this and you can't be that, but why don't you accept the fact that there's a pastor in Austin that's been here 29 years that's got a decent record around here and he's telling you, you can do some things if you want to. Come on, you can make life work. You can have a proper attitude in your life if you want to. Paul said it this way, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can live for God in this world. You can be a Christian at work. You can make a difference in someone's life. You have what it takes. Believe somebody. Please believe a pastor that says you have what it takes. And I close tonight. Randy, if you'll help me. Yeah, it's time. There's no such thing as a perfect, flawless attitude. Well, Pastor, I just, you know, I got one of them good ones. People come to me all the time. Ask me how I got this great attitude that I have. I just tell them it's just in me. I'm sorry. Nobody looks like that in this church. You know, there's a thing in in planes called a trim, the trim. To trim a plane means to balance it in flight. A trim, you trim. Planes have an attitude. Let you know if it's going up or down. It's called an attitude. And things will constantly happen to challenge your attitude. Life brings stuff. Stuff that while you're flying high, it starts putting you down. Hurts and pains and anguish. But I'm reminded of that old mule in Missouri that fell into that well. And a farmer, realizing the rescue was impossible, decided to bury him and dump truckloads of dirt down the well. And the mule began to stomp and snort. And soon the old sad-faced mule was on top of the dirt, two feet higher than he was before. And after a few more truckloads of dirt, the mule just shook it off and stood up and walked out of the well. dirty but alive and kicking. And they tell me the mule had a thesis. When dirt gets slung on you, when things pile up on top of you, shake it off and step up. 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 Oh, I'm feeling good tonight. Come on, clap your hands real big. You ought to get one of these in your spirit. Everyone has storms that want to wreck your attitudes. But there's four things i leave you tonight. Very quickly, continually adjust your perspective. How are you seeing it? What's your perspective on it? Adjust your attitude to the demands of life. Adjust it. Remember, God did not make you weak, frail, and easily defeatable. Remember that. Because, number four, He made you in His image. And let me close with this. And you know what? If you read the the creation in Genesis, there's two of them. In Genesis 1, he made spirit beings. Male and female created he them. Genesis chapter 2, he formed a man from the dust of the ground, took a rib from his side and made a woman. And he breathed in the breath of life and they became a living soul. Here's what I want to tell you. The first thing God made in the garden was not a body, it was a spirit. It was a spirit and your spirit is what matters most. It's not what you see here today. It's not this blue bell body that you're looking at. It's a spirit that dwells in here because I am a spirit with a soul that's in a body. And when I die, that spirit goes back to the God that gave it. This body goes to the ground. But one morning, one morning, when the trumpet sounds, that spirit's coming back and my body's gonna rise up. Woo! Hallelujah! Stand to your feet all over the house. Come on, stand up all over the house. Why don't we give the Lord a great, great hand clap of appreciation? There was a great violinist, an Italian violinist by the name of Ole Bull, B U H L. And one night at Carnegie Hall, he broke three strings on his violin. And he said, after he broke three, there's only four on the violin. He said, after I broke the third one, he said, I had three options. I could quit. I could just stop. Or I could go off stage and change instruments. Or he said, I could change keys and keep on playing. So he said, the string that I was on demanded I change keys and keep playing. So he said, I played the rest of the song in another key. Sometimes life makes us change keys, but it doesn't make us stop the music. Boy, I feel this tonight. I'm like that little boy that prayed for his grandmother at her birthday. He said this great prayer: Lord, don't let grandma let grandma live until she dies. That's the prayer I pray for this church. Let us live. And be alive until we die. Don't let your spirit, your attitude die before your body does. That's about all I got to say about that. Now, here's what I want to do tonight. We hadn't done this in a long time. You know, back when I was a kid, we used to have these hug services. Go tell somebody how much you love them and hug them up. Now, we're living in a society. Everybody don't understand that. So I'm not asking men to go find, if you're a single man, go find all the single women. No. But if a couple will go to another couple, let the wives embrace the wives and the husbands of husbands. And if you single people will go find you a brother if you're a brother and a sister if you're a sister, And then after church, shake hands with that pretty girl or that handsome guy in the foyer. Why don't we just share one another our attitudes right now and say, you know what? I'm glad I came tonight to church. I love you as a brother. I love you as a sister. Let's take about three minutes now to do that. Come on. Go find somebody. Don't dismiss yourself. We're not dismissing. We're not dismissing. Go find somebody. Come on. That's it. I love all y'all over here. I love all y'all. I love y'all. I love you. I love you. Come on. Let's just do it. Let's do it. Come on, let's do it. We haven't done this in probably 15 years in this church. Come on, let's do this tonight. I love you, man. I love you, lady. I love y'all with all my heart. We love our new pastor. We love him. I love you, David. I love you, David. I appreciate you. I love you, David, very, very much. All right. All right. That's some good heart blessing tonight. That's some good stuff. That's some good stuff. Now let me have your attention for one more minute one more minute let me have your attention one more minute one more minute I used to have a pastor that made us do that every Sunday night because he didn't like anybody (laughs) and he wanted us to make sure that we loved him he didn't like nobody and I when I got old enough to realize that I didn't tell anybody, but I'm telling y'all, but he's dead and gone now, thank God. He's with the Lord. Maybe he liked him. Turn it off, turn it off. Turn it off. Hey, everybody say Sunday morning. morning. We're going to be in the house of God. God. It's It's Mother's Day. Treat mom right. This is not a Sunday to take her to Sonic. (laughs) It's a Sunday to do something special for her. Come on now, men. Come on. Let's make our ladies appreciate the fact that they're married to us. I love you. Raise your hands. Father, bless this congregation tonight. I love them in the name of the Lord, and I bless them with everything that's in my soul. Thank you for them. Thank you for our online audience tonight. We appreciate and love them. We honor all that you are and all that you've been to us. Thank you for this Wednesday night. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said amen. amen. I love you. Have a great, great night. Stay as long as you want. We'll close the light. We'll turn the lights out when, you, when you're gone. I love you. God bless. See you Sunday morning 9, 10, 30.